gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, this one is where I struggle. I've always had, always have since I was a kid. Somebody comes at me. So what he's saying is that if somebody else is angry at you, you should respond with a gentle word. Well, I have a tendency if somebody comes at me with anger, it's like an invitation to a sporting event. Okay, I'm in with you. And I have to rise to the challenge. That's how I've always tended to respond. I kind of mirror your mood. So if you're hyped up, I'll be hyped up. That sounds good. Wisdom says if you want to de-escalate, you bring a gentle word. You don't match their wrathful anger with anger and heat. That's pouring gasoline on a fire. You bring a gentle word. I'll admit, sometimes I don't even want to de-escalate. I want to escalate. That's more exciting sometimes. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing good today. It's just a couple of, uh, I was talking out in the hallway to uh, someone about um, how we just have a couple of more, uh, less than 10 days, I think, for a lot of us until the, um, until the, the, uh, the new season begins. Um, for so many of us, it's such a crazy season this, uh, this fall time, but um, it's, it's good. It's a good thing, and I'm looking forward to, um, to uh, the nice, crisp weather. I don't know about you. I, just a couple of, uh, of days ago, actually, as part of the research that I was doing for uh, this message today, I ran across a, a study a watershed study that, study that was done in 2023 by the Surgeon General of the United States, and it's entitled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, the U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection. I want to read that uh, one more time. Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation the U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection and Community. Uh, this is not the only time I have read about or come across the idea that our culture today is facing an epidemic of loneliness. But if you want to know what this very lengthy, uh, you know, it's multiple hundreds of pages uh, study deter uh, determines, it's this. It says that friendship, it tells us that friendship is a matter of life and death, both physically and emotionally. Friendship is a matter of life and death, both physically and emotionally. And this morning, I would add a third category, spiritually as well. So that's where we're going today. And, and it's very interesting to look at some of the findings of this study. Uh, one of the things that this study found is that, that uh, more than one in three adults in the U.S. report that they feel lonely. Another finding from this study is that loneliness especially impacts particular groups in the U.S., including low-income adults, older adults, adults living alone, people with chronic diseases, people with disabilities, and immigrants. This study has also found that there is a biological and social effect to loneliness. The social effects of loneliness have been linked to increased risks for heart disease and stroke type 2 diabetes, depression and anxiety, addiction, suicidality and self-harm, dementia, earlier 
death. Uh, the social, the social uh, um, cost of social I isolation is that it increases your risk of dementia by 50%, heart disease by 29%, stroke by 32%. And this was a stat that really blew my mind. It's kind of like summarizing the whole thing. Lacking social connection is as dangerous, this study finds, as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Well, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, that, th that there is this reality that is, uh, that is going through our culture. So many people feel alone. So many people don't have the social connections that will give them a, a full and a, a flourishing kind of life. And so, yes, I, I agree with this study that loneliness is a matter of life and death. Both want to think about together about what the remedy is for this loneliness. And uh, it's very simple. Uh, it's really, you know, kind of I'm being the master of the obvious today when I would say that the solution for loneliness is friendship. That does seem like an obvious solution, doesn't it? And so some of you may be saying when I say that, that the solution to loneliness is friendship, is you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm good because I have friends. And it, it's actually quite rare that a person would actually identify self-identify as lonely. We can look around the world and agree that there's a lock, lack of social connection. We can look around the world and agree that there's, that there's a lot of challenges that people have in terms of relating to one another. We may even look around people and say, wow, that person seems like they're alone. That person seems like they're a lonely person. But it's rare that we would put ourselves in that own category. But the reality is that you can be surrounded by people and have zero relationships that go beyond the surface. Modern society is ordered in such a way that it is very possible, if not probable, that we can be lonely in a crowd. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, you're at a party, you're surrounded by people, maybe you're at a big event, um, a concert or a ball game, and, uh, and you just feel, despite the fact that there's all these people around, you just feel like, I'm all by myself. Well, today the kind of friendship that we're talking about is not the casual sense of friendship as we understand it today. At last count, I had 1,718 friends. If we're using the Facebook definition of a friend. And that very fact demonstrates that the word friend has been devalued. The word friend has become a verb. You can now friend or unfriend a person with the click of a button. So we need a different kind of friendship. We need a friendship, we need friendships and connections that are life-giving, that are life-changing. We need relationships known as covenant friendships. This is the kind of friendship that is spoken of in the chapters in Proverbs that we're looking at uh, this week and that you read through this week. One of the things that was remarkable as I was reading through this section, uh, preparing for you know, the section I was going to preach on, is that this topic, this subject was loud and clear. And so there's some pretty significant passages of Scripture in this section that talk about covenant friendship or answer the question, what is a covenant friend? As we look at what Solomon, the wise teacher of Proverbs, teaches us about friendship, we, we can get an idea, an understanding of what this covenant friendship is all about and why these kinds of friendships are so important 
to our spiritual and physical well-being. The first thing that we read in the book of Proverbs in these sections is that a covenant friend is faithful. A covenant friend is faithful. The scripture says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of, in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So simply put, what this proverb is saying is that a covenant friend shows up. A covenant friend shows up. One of the things that is kind of interesting for me, and I want to tell you the story of people showing up, I think it's a great illustration of what it means to show up. And one of the persons who showed up for, for, uh, for my family a few years ago, actually over 10 years ago, is a member of this church, a guy by the name of Steve, Steve Dowdy. And uh, my, my children were moving in the middle of Hurricane Sandy. Uh, it's the craziest thing that they were in an apartment, they closed on a house, and just as they closed on the house, Hurricane Sandy swept through, but their landlord said to them, you need to get out. So what do you do in a situation like that? You can either, you know, try to, to finagle all that stuff yourself, or you can hope that people will show up. And I remember uh, meeting two guys for the very first time that day, a, a fellow by the name of Steve Dowdy and another fellow by the name of, of Bill Sagaris. And, uh, what I, and they came and they started to load the van and they made sure that, that, the, that the apartment was completely empty, ready for the next move in. And we, they helped my children move into the next place that they were going to live. Now, uh, one one of the persons who, who I'm telling that story about has become one of my dearest covenant friends. And that was really the beginning of it because a covenant friend is a person who shows up. Uh, of course, the goal of good relationships is that family would become more like friends and friends would become more like family. But the truth is, and we all know, that sometimes our family isn't there for us, right? I mean, that's a disappointment that many of us experience, is that because of geography or just because of things that have happened in the history of the family, your family isn't there for you. And so this is what uh, Solomon is, is acknowledging. He's acknowledging that reality, and he says that what's really important is that you have friends who will show up that will not forsake you. Another part of this proverb is, uh, has to do with proximity. Because, uh, you know, it's easy to have these long-distance relationships. It's easy to, you know, have Facebook friends, as I said already. It's, e it's even easy to keep connected with people by Zoom. But the truth is, the most valuable and important kind of a friend is a friend who is next to you physically. A friend who you can see uh, on a regular basis. A friend who you uh, have over your house. A friend who you can be in true relationship with. And he says there, he says, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And so it's a reality that our culture makes it, uh, makes it easy for us to be disconnected from our family. Uh, I have children who have moved to North Carolina. I'm sure that many of you who are my age can also name family members who have moved away, or maybe you yourself are new in this area for work or whatever, and, uh, and you're not as connected to your family as you once were. Well, Friends, covenant friends, are people that we can be connected to who are nearby. And so uh, as we uh, go through these, um, these verses, I, I want to take a moment each time for a moment of self-reflection. And I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask you about this particular idea that a covenant friend 
is a person who shows up. And, uh, and the question is this, do you show up for people? Do you show up for people? Are there people around you that know that you, can de- that you know you can depend on? That if Hurricane Sandy were to blow through again, you could pick up the phone and these people would be there in the drop of a hat. Are you, and, the, and another aspect of this is that sometimes we stretch ourselves so thin with our hundreds and hundreds of friends that we don't have time for just a few intimate friends. And so another thing to reflect on is are you committed to living life with a few covenant friends or are you spread thin through many, many surface relationships so you can't have the kinds of relationships that are life-giving and cause us to be able to flourish spiritually in this life? That's the, that's the, uh, the first point. The second point is that a covenant friend is vulnerable. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses, he, he, he who confesses and forsakes them will all obtain mercy. It's so easy for a person to think that the world wants you to be a certain way. And when we, when we believe that, despite who we are really uh, in our innermost person, we wear a mask and we hide. It's impossible to have authentic, covenant, life-giving relationships when we're hiding. When we do this, we're not authentic, um, but what we really need in order to be in a covenant relationship is we need people around us who are safe, and this is a big one, for honest self-disclosure. Honest self-disclosure. I'd like to read again verse verse 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. Rob Reimer, in his book, Soul Care, introduced me to the idea of total life confession. This is a a spiritual practice in which you sit down with somebody and you turn your life upside down. You turn your life inside out. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to do this with some of my professors when I was uh, working through uh, some courses at ATS. And, uh, And then from there, the covenant friends that God brought around me, we did the same thing as well, in which, which we actually sat down and we began from the earliest memory we have to the most mes- recent memory we have, and we tell it all. No secrets, nothing hidden. Now, that is a pretty radical thing, but it's a life-giving and a life-transforming thing. I know it was for me. I know that some of you who are here have been through Empower, have uh, been introduced to this idea. But this is an important spiritual practice for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that it kills shame. It kills shame. When uh, when we have things that are hidden in our life, we're filled with shame. You know, we think to ourselves, if anybody really knew that about me, they wouldn't like me. They would reject me. And so we hide. We hide. The second thing that this, uh, that honest uh, self-disclosure Uh, does for us is it destroys the power of darkness because when we have secrets that are kept hidden you know mold grows in the dark right but light destroys bacteria destroys those growing nasty things that grow in the dark and so when we bring it into the light it destroys the power of darkness to cause these challenges these things that we have in our life to grow and uh, and the third thing is this and I alluded to it in just a few minutes ago that uh, that This practice also lets me know that although I am pretty broken and I 
am a broken person. And if I think about, and I think that idea, um, man, if people really knew who I was, if they knew that, you know, when I was 14 or 18 or 30 or 50, I did this thing. If they knew that, they would not want to be my friend. They would reject me. But one of the most beautiful experiences that I had in this practice of, of total life confession was to, was to share my story and for people to tell me, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are loved. And so although I am pretty broken, uh, I know because of this practice that I am loved and that I am valued. And so the point for us to reflect on today is this. Are you a person who it is safe to be vulnerable with? Are you a person who practices vulnerability? One of the goals that came to my mind to have for my life as I think about, you know, the, the next 20 or 30 years that I have, Lord willing, on this earth, is, uh, is that I would live a life in which I would die with no secrets and I would die with no regrets. That is such a powerful thing. And the way that we can do that is through friends, through relationships in which we can have honest self-disclosure. Another aspect of covenant friendship that we read in the book of Proverbs in these verses is that covenant friendships, friends, are willing to confront and to restore. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So a covenant friend is somebody who I trust to confront me in an honest way. Do I like to hear that, you know, I may have some challenges that I have to work through in order to be everything that God wants me to be? Do I, do I, need, do I like to hear uh, people point out to me things that, uh, that I may be unaware of that bother other people or even witness me, witness, to me, witness me behaving in maybe a way towards my wife or my children or whatever it might be and they speak to me about it? Do I like that? No, I don't. However... This is what a covenant friend does. A covenant friend confronts in an honest way. And because of the relationship of trust that I have with this covenant friend, that friend is able to, I receive that, that correction from my friend. I don't get defensive. I don't get offended by the words because I know that they're spoken in love and they're spoken to enable me to flourish as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, it's mentioned in this, uh, this section is that uh, sometimes there are people who are, who are not willing to confront but would rather compliment people and, uh, you know, blow on people's ego when they don't deserve it or that shouldn't be happening. As a matter of fact, I think that many of us are prone to that. You know, I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago as I was sh standing up here about the fear of man. And sometimes our fear of what other people think about us limits our ability to confront lovingly. And instead, we, we say things to people that are not true. You know, somebody asks for correction or, or evaluation and you say, oh, it was great when you really could have taken a moment to really help that friend of yours to grow in, in that person. And this is what Solomon means when he says that profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, one of the things that is really important for us to understand about this is that a loving rebuke, a loving rebuke actually strengthens our friendship. Proverbs 28, 23 says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Uh, when people who I know and who I trust have 
come to me and talk to me about some stuff in my life that they felt that the Lord uh, needed to be working on and they wanted to help me to have a, an ability to see that. You know, I have to tell, be honest with you, my initial reaction was, well, who are you to be telling me that? That was really my initial reaction. But be, as I thought about the relationship and I thought about the friendship, because that person was willing to confront, my relationship with that person actually was strengthened. My relationship with that person actually grew. And this is what Proverbs 28 means, 23 means when it says, whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor. One of the reasons that a person may not feel like they have, they don't have, they, they're unable to have covenant friends is because they're too hard to confront. They're too easily offended. You know, I, I, see, I look at people, I have relationships with people, and I think, you know, it's, it's not worth, ever hear this to yourself? It's not worth my breath. Because, you know, if I say this to this person, they're not going to listen to me anyway, or they're going to be offended, and our relationship is going to be broken. They're not going to be able to receive the things that I say. Uh, or people sense that you are not able to speak the truth to them. These are reasons that stand in the way of us having covenant friends. So, uh, so uh, an important moment for self-reflection is this. Are you able to receive hard words from a friend? Do you care enough to lovingly confront? The, the next thing that we want to look at from this passage of Scripture is that a covenant friend makes us better human beings. It says in, in this passage of scripture that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And what this is saying is that it's impossible for you to go through life as a lone wolf, despite the fact that our culture celebrates lone wolves. It's, it's impossible, it's unhealthy, it's not an atmosphere that will enable you to flourish. In fact, if you think of all the all, all the people who have accomplished great things, most of them have accomplished them as part of a team. Now, I'm a kind of a geek, and so I like to think about techie things. And uh, I was thinking, uh, as I was preparing this message about the great technological innovations of the last century, for instance, uh, Apple Computer, who was it founded by? A team. It was founded by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Uh, think about Microsoft. Who was that founded by? It was founded by a team, by two people, Bill Gates and Paul Allen. And, uh, and one of the things that really nails, nails this for me is that when Jesus commissioned his, his uh, disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God, what did he do? He told them to go out two by two because we need friendships. We need relationships. And those relationships make us stronger. And so as we're working together, as we're playing together, as we're growing together, we're like the chef's steel that sharpen each other, that make each other better, that cause us to flourish as human beings. This is what covenant friendship does for us. And so the next reflection that I want to, um, to, uh, to leave us with is, are you strengthening and sharpening your friends that you're committed to? Are you in relationships that make you a better human being? If you want to grow in Jesus, this is what we need to have in our life. And, and um, here's our reality. The reality is that the world is ordered against these kinds of life-giving friendships. We're too busy. We're working harder and harder to get ahead. Uh, we spend a lot of our, our downtime just escaping into our own worlds. Our brokenness can keep us apart from one another. And, uh, and uh, this is rea really a result of the first sin in the garden. Because the first sin in the garden, what was it about? 
It was about a broken relationship. Adam and Eve hid from God. And then very shortly after that, uh, their, their family relationship was broken. And so sin came into this world and it caused broken relationships. And so what Jesus did is he came and he lived and he died to restore those relationships that were broken. And so for me, and I believe for, for all of us, the source, the foundation of a covenant relationship is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because the primary purpose that Jesus lived and died was to restore relationships that were broken. Relationships, our relationship with the Father and our relationship with one another. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was here, um, he hung out with people and what did, what, did they, what did people call him? They called him a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. And, uh, and on Jesus' last night with his disciples, he told them, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for his friends. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life. This is the ultimate showing up. This is the essence of covenant friendship. He showed us through his death what it means to be a friend who will give himself fully to that friendship and engage in the costly, costly practice of covenant friendship. And, uh, and so the source of covenant friendship, the very first thing that we need to do is if we're looking for these kinds of relationships, is we need to, we need to enable Jesus to change us and to transform us. And when he does that, he frees us and he empowers us to have covenant friendships. And he frees us in a few ways. The first thing that he does is he frees us to find security. Uh, he frees us to take risks. You know, it's awkward to be in friendships. And, uh, and I, I want to tell you a quick story if I have time. Yes, I do. Uh, when I was at district conference many, many years ago, we had a speaker who spoke on the subject of relationships between pastors, relationships between people in, in their congregation, relations between men and women, and how vital and important it was for us to be flourishing human beings to be in these relationships. And he challenged us to get together in small groups. And uh, I broke up in a small group with two, three other men. And in that moment, we shared the reality of loneliness. We shared the challenges that we have in our life that keep us from being in relationship with one another. And in that moment, we committed, and we even used these words, we committed to one another to live in covenant friendship with one another. And that was a life-changing moment for me. It changed my whole ministry trajectory. It changed how I, how I thought about leadership. It changed about, it, cha it caused me to be able to know that someone had my back and that someone was going to show up with us, show up for us. And so, so, but having that conversation requires risk. It requires the awkwardness of words. And if we have Security in the Lord Jesus Christ, it frees us to take those kinds of risks. Another thing that this does is it assures us that Jesus is working to unite us to others in the church community. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that, we're to, that we are to pursue the unity of peace in the bond, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that the church is to be together uh, in unity. And, uh, and the scripture tells us again and, and again that we are to lean in to church community. I just want to share with you very quickly um, a quote from a, a new book that came out. It's called The, it's called the Great Dechurching. It's, it's very recent. It's asking why people are identifying as nons and stuff like that. And it says this, 
It says the church exists as a local expression of the family of God, and it's Jesus' plan for training his disciples to love one another and to become more like him. As evangelicals have rightly noted, God's spirit and gift of salvation are not defined by church walls, but without embodied community of believers, we are limited in our ability to learn and to love other followers of Jesus. We need to be in community with one another. The church is an awesome place to live out what it means to be authentic people in community. Could you imagine if we got real about this in a lonely world, the missional impact of that reality, if we could really demonstrate to others what committed covenant friendship is like. People would long for that. People would desire that. Uh, I also want to encourage you, one of the things that's going to happen very soon in our church is we're going to start life groups. What a great place for you to get connected for the sake of, to develop covenant relationships. And I want to encourage you, if you think that there's people in your life who you should have this kind of relationship with, or you could have this kind of relationship with, I want to encourage you to lean into that relationship to talk to that person, to say, would you be a person who, I can, who will live life with me and who, who, with whom I can be completely vulnerable and completely honest, a person who I know will show up? You might even use the word covenant friendship now that you've learned that word. Would you be in covenant friendship with me? The last thing I just want to share with you is that when Jesus transforms our life, he also enables us to focus on being this kind of friend rather than finding this kind of friend. You see, it's about us taking the initiative. A lot of times we wait around for people to approach us, but it's our job. It's our job to, uh, to take that initiative. Now, it's risky and it's scary because many of us have been hurt. Many, I know that probably all of us, if I took a survey, could name four or five different people in your life who you depended on who disappointed you. And I have to say that for me as a, as a pastor, I've served for 40 years, man, if you don't know a profession where people disappoint and sometimes uh, even backstab you, it's the ministry. I, I, I don't know whether Chris would be as honest as me to admit that, but it's a reality. And so, so when I sat down in that circle with my covenant friends, it was frightening for me to take that risk. After many times in my life in which I've been, I've been um, people have left me or criticized me or caused me to you know, have all kinds of pain in my life, but I took the risk. And it changed everything about my ministry and about my life. And so I want to encourage you these are the last words that I'm going to say to you. It, I want to encourage you to know that covenant friendship is worth the risk. It's worth the risk. So uh, begin praying about people who you can live life with in this way. Uh, in this church, people who God has put into your life, it's worth the risk. I, I'd like to pray, and as we pray, the worship team can come up come on up. And I do know that some of you might want to pray through some of the things that I've talked about, a hurt that you've experienced, or disappointment with friendships that you've experienced, or just to, to, uh, 
to bring to the Lord the reality of your own loneliness. And so uh, if the worship, if the prayer team would go, come on up, Rigo, I don't know who you have uh, assigned for that, but if the prayer team would come up and, you know, have uh, time on either side, uh, go to them and say, Lord, uh, tell them what you need and they will pray with you. They will pray with you. But I want to pray before we do that. And I want to pray for three things. First of all, Lord, I pray for healing for broken relationships, healing for hurting people, healing for disappointment. And Lord, may that healing result in renewed relationships, renewed vulnerability, renewed uh, ability to be in covenant friendships with one another. And Lord, will you enable this church to be a place that demonstrates the life-giving, life-changing force of friendship. And Lord, if there is somebody here who has not taken that first step of having their relationship restored to you so that their relationship can be restored to the Father and their relationship can be restored to one another, Lord, I pray for that one. Let them know that. Let them take that first step this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.